God, that's our prayer, that we want to know your heart. And that's why we're here. That's why we gathered. Lord, we have not gathered to go through the motions. We have not gathered because it's a weekend in church and that's what you do. We, we've gathered because we're the people of, your, a people of God that have been born again by the Spirit of God. But we have been forgiven people. We've been washed people. We have entered into new relationship or we have moved from enemies to sons and daughters of the living God. You've crowned us. You've crowned us your kids. And God, the one desire of our heart is we would know you and go a little deeper. And so that's why we're here and we just want to invite you to come to fill us with your presence. We want to experience you in new and profound ways as we unpack your word. We want to get new understanding of what it means to follow you. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would come and be with us and you would be our teacher. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, good evening, Rocky Peak. How you doing? Great to see you. Hey, go ahead and have a seat. I've got several things to share. Uh, next week is Easter, right? And uh, so we got a lot of things uh, coming up as we get ready to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our, our Lord. A uh, couple things. So first of all, uh, how many of you survived uh, your water, your kind of beverage fast? You survived. You, for a lot of you, this is probably the night you're going to break your fast, so that's great. I didn't start till tomorrow, so I'm still on water and hating it. Uh, so I'm looking forward for my, to my first uh, cappuccino tomorrow. But anyway, uh, uh, for those of you who are new to Rocky Peak, this is something that we, we do every time, uh, several times a year, we do an initiative for the poor where we just kind of focus our attention on, on people around the world who are going through hard times that we can help. And so we've been uh, this last week on a beverage fast where we've only been drinking uh, water for the week and we're saving the money that we would have spent on beverages and we're bringing it in today to dig a water wells in Liberia. Last year we were able to reopen or to dig 37 wells for communities. And so we're going to see what we can do this year. So if you... Uh, if you're, uh, oh, tonight's the night that uh, you would kind of bring your offering that would be over and above your normal offering for the money you save for water wells. And so as you go out, by every entrance, there's a, there's a five-gallon water jug. And you can just drop your check or money in there. If you forgot uh, or you want to give online, you can do that at rockypeak.org. And you just pick the uh, general. You pick the general selection. And then a water well thing will drop down. You can give that way. Or we'll have them out next week. If you forgot or didn't prepare, we'll do this again next week. All right? But that's, that's number one. Oh, number two, uh, next week is Easter, and as we've been talking about this for several weeks, we want to have plenty of room for those who are, are new to Rocky Peak or guests or don't normally come. And so uh, uh, we're going to be having five services next week. When you come on Saturday next week, in fact, I'd ask you, if you're a regular on Saturday, unless you're bringing a guest who wants to come on Sunday, if that's the case, and come on Sunday by all means, but we'd ask to help us out just to continue to come Saturday night. Now, we're going to have two services next Saturday night, the 4 o'clock and the 6 o'clock. And so if you, uh, we'd love to have some of you uh, switch over to 4 o'clock to create uh, more space because we're going to have people from Sunday coming to both 4 and 6. And so if you move some of you to 4, that would be even better, all right? So that's, that's uh, next weekend. Um, let's see, uh, what else? Uh, Good Friday. We, this uh, uh, we, we're going to have uh, this Friday a Good Friday services. There's actually two. There's one at 5 o'clock. There's one at 6 o'clock. And so, or 6.30 rather, 5 and 6.30. And so uh, I would really encourage you to consider coming even if you don't, normally don't. And the reason is, is we're not a real traditional church if you haven't noticed. And uh, so uh, we, we don't do like Lent and things like that. And, and so uh, we don't have give up things other than water for a week. Uh, but um, what, what can happen is Easter can sneak up on you. 
And so often you find all of a sudden it's here, you come in church, oh yeah, it's Easter, and we just want to prepare our hearts for that day. I think one of the best ways is just, just to come on Good Friday and begin to focus in. Now we're going to do it a little differently this year. It's going to be more uh, encounter-esque. For those of you who have been at one of our encounters before, uh, it's going to be a little bit more upbeat, not as somber, more worship-centered uh, as we celebrate the death of Jesus and what it means for us. And so uh, uh, we have child care for, those, uh, for kids five and under. It's just about an hour service, so be a shorter than a regular service. It'll be a great way to kind of launch the Easter weekend and begin turning your heart towards the resurrection, all right? So that's, that's number uh, three, I guess. And then finally, here at Rocky Peak, about two or three times a year, uh, we offer a course, I actually teach it, and it's called The Movement. And so it goes off our mission statement, our vision statement, which is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. So two or three times a year, I do a two-night a two course. It's on Sunday nights. Uh, it's going to be uh, the Sunday after Easter, uh, the 27th, and then the following, uh, the following Sunday, first one in May. And so what, what we do in this course is it's really sort of an initiation, an orientation to Rocky Peak. It's uh, our vision, our values, and our strategies, why we do, what we do, the way we do it. It's designed for newcomers or also for people you've been here a while and said, hey, I really like this. I want to get more involved. I want to become what a lot of churches would be called a member. We actually call it a partner. And so if you want to become a, a partner, uh, this is the course you need to take. You need to come both weeks through that so you kind of, kind of get the whole vision, big picture of what we're about, what we require of partners, and so there's no pressure at all. In fact, if you're brand new here, this is a fantastic way to come. It's usually, you know, 40 or 50 people. It's a smaller setting. I'm there. We spend six hours together. It's a great time, and so uh, if you're just trying to figure out Rocky Peak, if it's the right church for you, great thing to come to, and so uh, you can sign up for that uh, online at rockypeak.org, right? Or if you want to sign up on your Connect card, you can do that as well. Just fill out all the information in the front, and we'll sign you up, all right? So that's, that's all the uh, announcements. So we're going to go into the time of teaching in, in a couple minutes. Uh, I hope we're done by midnight tonight. We're covering the second coming, so I don't know. Uh, but uh, anyway, this is going to be a little unorthodox message. But uh, anyway, we're going, to, we're going to stand up and take a break because you're going to need one. So let's stand up, say hi to one another, and then we'll go into our time of teaching. Well, we are going to go into our time of teaching right now. I don't think I introduced myself before. If you're new, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors. and just really glad you're here. Inside your program is a message note sheet we use every week for our uh, time of teaching. So you definitely want to take that out. Uh, as we uh, jump in. That'll help you follow along. One thing, we had a little bit of glitch uh, with uh, some of our slides tonight. And so often we, when we use certain scriptures, we'll present them on the screen. They won't be there tonight, but they will be on your note sheet. And so I don't want to throw you when the time comes. We'll get it fixed for tomorrow. That's what Saturday night's for, right? Saturday night's for fun. It's like, it's like Rocky Peak Raw. That's what I call it, Rocky Peak Raw. We just kind of, no one, you know, can do anything here. We can get away with anything here. So uh, with that in mind, let's jump in. Uh, Father, we just pray that you'd be with us tonight, and we thank you so much for what you're doing at our church and the way you're truly uh, waking us up and calling us on. And as we talk about the second coming and what it looks like to be prepared for when you come, we just ask that you'd speak in a really profound way. I pray you'd give great clarity as we go over kind of some complicated things. We'd all follow along, but the bottom line is at the end of the day that we would be ready and we would know how to live our lives this day for that day. So when you come, we are on, uh, we are on guard, we are, we are on our game, we're ready to go. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in now since the beginning of the year called Jesus, the Crucified King. 
And so for those who are new, and, and pretty much every week we have some new people, uh, what, what this series is about is to study the life and teaching of Jesus. It's actually the third in a trilogy of series uh, on the life and teaching of Jesus based on the firsthand uh, kind of eyewitness of the apostle Peter. And so Peter's got a buddy named Mark. They're very close. Towards the end of Peter's life, Mark writes an account of the life and teaching of Jesus based on Peter's firsthand experiences. And so uh, as in this series, we've watched as Jesus has come into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. He's beginning to reveal his true identity as the Messiah, the, the King of Israel, uh, in some new and bold and provocative ways. And, and this is causing him to come into conflict, increasing conflict, with the, uh, the religious political leaders of Israel who see him as a threat to their power base. And so uh, all week long, we've watched him at the mammoth, uh, kind of massive temple complex. Every day he's coming in, teaching. Uh, the religious political leaders are sending teams of people in to undercut him. They're, they're sending in different groups of religious leaders, uh, asking him tough questions, almost like a hostile press conference type atmosphere, to try to trip him up. So to get him to undercut his uh, leadership uh, with the people, his popularity with the people, or to uh, get him in trouble with the Roman government, which is eventually what's going to happen. It's exactly what's going to happen. And so, uh, anyway, the last time we were together, I was with you two weeks ago. Uh, Jesus uh, is, is, is leaving the temple for the last time. And as he leaves, one of his men turns to him and says, Jesus, what an amazing place. I mean, these boys are from Galilee. You know, they don't have anything over two stories there. Temple, 15 stories tall. They're like, what an amazing place, and, and it is. We've talked about it a lot. You know, 35 acres, 12 football uh, fields, uh, almost a mile around. Some of the stones weigh over a million pounds. I mean, it's just incredible ancient, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And, and he says, what an incredible place, what incredible buildings. And Jesus stops him, and he says something very provocative. And, and, and he makes this prophecy, and he says, hey, I'm telling you that it's, it might look amazing now, but there's going to come a day when this whole place is going to be absolutely torn down, and, and it's going to be not one stone left on another. So later in the day, uh, four of his men come to him offline. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives, about a mile away from the temple, outside the city, looking down on this incredible complex, and his men say, hey, when is that going to happen? And what is the sign that it's about to happen? Now, remember, in their minds, they're not thinking two comings like we're thinking, like first coming and second coming. They're thinking one coming. And so they're kind of assuming that this coming of Jesus with power and the destruction of the temple are kind of all part of one whole event. Uh, based on the Old Testament, it talked about when Messiah come, there's going to be great wars with his enemies and part of Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And so they're just kind of assuming this is all part of the event. And so if you were here last time, we looked at the first half of Jesus' answer. And it's the first half of Mark chapter 13. And we'll come back to that a little bit later and set it up to, so we get the flow. But today we want to come into the second part of his answer. And, and in a nutshell, last time, what he said is, hey, don't overreact. When you start seeing these things happen, like wars and famines, don't overreact. Stay on task. Uh, share the gospel. Uh, trust the Holy Spirit. But when you get to the midpoint of the chapter, which comes at verse 14, everything changes. And in chapter 14, Jesus seems to put a spotlight on, but when this happens, pay attention. 
Like, don't overreact until this happens. When this happens, wake up, right? Okay, so, but before we look at that sign that he's talking about, we need to go, I, I need to introduce a couple important concepts to you because Jesus assumes we know these things. And for probably a lot of us, we don't. And so there in your note sheet, there's a section that's called the second coming, two key concepts, right? So I wanna hit a couple key concepts first and then we'll jump in and see what he says and then we'll be able to follow him. And that'll work out better than going through and trying to, you know, oh, here's what he says and then taking five minutes to explain the background and so we'll just explain it first. Okay, the first key concept that we're gonna see today is called the abomination of desolation, right? Now some of you are going, is that really a real term? That sounds like something out of The Hobbit, right? Like the desolation of smog or something like that. Uh, so, but it, it really is a real term. Uh, it can be in singular or plural. Sometimes it can be abomination of desolation. Sometimes it's abomination of desolations, plural. It's a term that comes from the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Daniel is a book that has a lot of prophecy about the future of Israel, the coming of Messiah, uh, uh, prophecy about the end times. And, and three times in Daniel's uh, writings, uh, three times in his book, there's a reference made to an event called the abomination of desolation. Okay, so an abomination, something terrible, something horrible, something incredibly evil that causes desolation or destruction or violation, all right? So three times. Now, one of those times, uh, we don't have time to go into this great detail, but one of those times, the most important time for our, our purpose today is in Daniel 9. And, and again, we don't, we don't have time to go into this in great all of detail. We could spend the whole, we really would be here till midnight. In fact, uh, uh, this week, I originally was going to go into a greater detail. It's just way too much, like two hours worth of stuff. And so, but let me set this up, all right? So, so here's what's happening. Uh, Daniel uh, is in Babylon when he writes his prophecies. Uh, uh, he's, uh, the nation of Israel has been captured by Babylon about 65 years before Daniel chapter 9. And, and so he's been in Babylon for about 65 years and according to the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah had predicted that after 70 years, God would bring the nation back from Babylon, back to their homeland. Right? That's, that's the prophecy. Now, of course, the whole reason they're in, uh, they're in Babylon is because they've rebelled against God as a race. And they've done it for so long and so many hundreds of years. This is the final discipline. And so when 586 BC, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in, this huge superpower, they destroyed, they leveled Jerusalem, they leveled the temple. And so now we're many years down, we're like 538, 540, somewhere in there. And so it's been like 65 years since the initial uh, destruction or initial attack of Babylon. And so, so Daniel's praying and his, his prayer is, God, hey, would you come through for us? God, we have sinned against you as a nation. We have been rebellious. That's why this, all this happened. But, but uh, would you forgive us? So would you bring us back? I mean, Jeremiah said 70 years, and it's almost 70 years. Would you forgive us? And so in the middle of that prayer time and fasting, uh, that what happens is the angel Gabriel shows up. And, and he says, I've been sent with a message. And he says, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to answer your question that you've been asking about the future of Jerusalem. He said, uh, and so he's going to give this answer. The only problem is the answer is incredibly cryptic. It's like in code. And this is why solid 
Christ's followers who love Jesus, who know the original language, who have studied it in depth, have disagreed over these passages for years. And remember, the last time I was together, one of the things we talked about is the second coming is controversial. It's not a primary issue, second, we'll, talk, we'll come back to that later. But, but it's a very controversial passage. But I want to read at least part of it and set this up so you understand Jesus' reference to abomination of desolations, because he's going to refer to that today, right? So, so here we go. There in your note sheet, you have this section. And so here's how Daniel, I mean, here's what Gabriel says to Daniel. He says, Daniel, 77s are decreed for your people. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, of course, your people would be Israel and your holy city, and that's Jerusalem. So he says, 77s are decreed uh, to finish transgression. So remember the context. Daniel's praying, God, forgive us for our history of sin that's led us to this place. Would you forgive us? And so the answer is, God has a plan to forgive you. God has a plan to bring you back, and it involves 77ths, okay? So 77ths are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, like to solve the sin issue, and to put an end to sin and to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness. And now we're starting to sound like the kingdom of God, aren't we? Everlasting righteousness and to seal up vision and prophecy, in other words, to finish it off, you know, it's, it's all fulfilled, and to anoint the most holy, all right? So, so here's what we know. Angel Gabriel says, okay, God's got a plan. It involves 77ths. It's like, Gabriel, couldn't you just be a little bit more clear? This is really confusing, all right? So here, here we go. So uh, scholars disagree over what is he talking about. So let me give you one camp. This is the camp that most of you are familiar with. Okay, if, you, if you're into biblical prophecy, if you read the left behind books, if you listen to kind of teachers on the radio, most of them are on here at least, uh, th this is what you're familiar with. That, and so that, this school of thought, this group of teachers, they, they believe that what, he's, what, what Gabriel is doing is he's giving us a very detailed timeline. It's very specific between uh, an event that's going to be called uh, the decree that's going to come in the future that Jerusalem is rebuilt. Remember, it's in ruins right now. So, it goes, so Gabriel's going to go and say, hey, in the future, there's going to come a decree, like from a king, that Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. And from that point, it's going to be these, these, this, these 77s, right? So, so he says it's going to be 77. So this group believes that these 77s refers to 70 weeks of seven years, now, if you do the math, and you're probably going to write one of your writings down, down, right, just, just to keep it clear, uh, that, that's 490 years, okay? So, so they believe that from the time the decree goes out for the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt, uh, Gabriel says there's going to be 490 years. And then he's going to break this down later on in the prophecy into three subsets. There's going to be seven weeks of seven years. So that means how many years? <laughs> so you're like, oh, <laughs> seven times seven, 49, right? He says, so there's going to be seven sevens, and then later on, Gabriel will talk about 62 sevens. I'll help you, 434. <laughs> That's 434 years. Add them both up, adds to 483 years. And he says, and then there's one final seven, 
of seven years, okay? So that 490 years, we're going to break it down into 49 and 434, which adds up to 483, and 1-7, all right? And so, so for those scholars, they look at that and say, we believe that God, that, that God is revealing his plan for the nation of Israel, the coming of Messiah, the, uh, the kingdom of God. Right? And it's very detailed, right down to the exact time when Jesus will come into Jerusalem. Right? Cases have been made for this. Right? Now, other scholars will look at it and say, no, 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 because the dates don't really, it's really hard to make those dates work out. You have to really kind of work at it. So other scholars say, you know what? We think what's going on is that Gabriel is using symbolic numbers. Because in the Bible, this happens all the time, right? Like the number seven is the number of perfection or the number of completion. I want you to think with me in the New Testament where the apostle Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my low-life brother when he, forget, when he offends me? The low-life is in the Greek. And he says, how about seven times? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which comes out to 490 times. Well, obviously the point is, yeah, forgive him 490 times. Well, when he hits 491, let him have it, right? <laughs> it's, it's symbolic use of, of numbers to say, hey, you, you forgive him as many times it takes, right? Okay? So there, there are many scholars who believe that when, when the Gabriel says, this 70 times seven, he's not giving a specific literal kind of amount of years, but what he's saying is that, hey, God's got a plan. It's a perfect plan. It's gonna happen in his time, and here's what's gonna happen. And, and this is what both sides agree, because the prophets say that. The nation of Israel will go back to, to, to uh, the promised land. This is, you know, back in Daniel, they will go back. The temple will get rebuilt. Uh, a Messiah will come. Uh, the temple will be destroyed again a second time which brings us to Jesus today, right? And then in Daniel's prophecy at the end of chapter nine, he says this, that after Jerusalem is destroyed again in the future, and after the temple has been destroyed again in the future, that the ruler who destroys it, that he will commit an act that's described as the abomination of desolation in the 70th week, in the last week, okay? So that's what Daniel says. Now, we don't have time to go into all the stuff about this whole chapter. I wish we did. It was in my notes. It just got all hit the, the editing floor. But, uh, but that gives us enough today to go on to understand some background, abomination of desolations, right? Okay, now, the second thing, which will take much less time, the second thing, second concept is a concept of typology, now, some of you will be familiar with this. For some of you, it's new. But it's an important biblical concept. The idea is that God who is outside of history, right? God who's outside of time, outside, that he has intentionally inserted certain events into human history that are like a preview of coming attractions. They are a hint, a foreshadowing of more important events that will come later on. Okay? So, for example, uh, in Genesis chapter 22, God speaks to Abraham. He says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and take him to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. 
Now, if you know the story, this was a test. God didn't make him go through with it. That is a picture of a greater event that's going to happen when a greater father, who is God, who has a son, who's a greater son, his only son, the son he loves, is going to one day sacrifice that son on Mount Moriah at Jerusalem. See how typology works? It's an event, it's a person, it's a place, it's an event in the past that's foreshadowing something that's coming. And you may not really see it until the, the sec, the, the, what we call the anti-type, until the fulfillment happens. And then you look back and go, oh my gosh, this is like a prophet, like God's been preparing for all time. Uh, another example would be the Passover. When the nation of Israel comes out of slavery in Egypt, remember the last plague is the Passover. And the nation is saved by the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. And they're set free from slavery to their old life to move into their new life. In the New Testament, we find out that that was a type of a greater lamb that would be sacrificed. His blood put over our lives, setting us free from a greater enemy into freedom of a new life. So Christ is our Passover. Are you following me on this? So typology, think of it like this, like an author who is writing a complex novel that early on begins to insert kind of hints and foreshadowings you may not even pick up on the time, but when the plot gets played out, you look back, oh, this is amazing how this, is, how this all works together, you see? So the concept of typology is an important concept that will come into play today, all right? So now we've done our homework. Now we've done our, our groundwork. Now we're ready to jump in to Mark chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, open with me to Mark chapter 13 and, and verse 14. And some of you are like, oh, this church goes for a long time. We should be done by now. But uh, <laughs> no, no, we're just getting warmed up. We're just warmed up. Okay, so Mark chapter 13, verse 14. There's a section on your note sheet called the second coming, one big sign. And so let me set up uh, the passage and remind us of the context. Uh, last time we were together, we saw, you know, disciples come out of the temple complex. Jesus, amazing stones, amazing buildings. Yes, they're all coming down. When's that going to happen? What's the sign? Jesus begins to answer. He says, hey, don't overreact. There's going to be wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be uh, uh, false messiahs. There's going to be earthquakes, but don't overreact. Your job, focus on sharing the gospel. The gospel needs to go into all the world until before I come back. And he says, uh, and, and then uh, well, the Holy Spirit will be with you. You're going to suffer like crazy. It's been crazy persecution, but he who endures to the end will be saved, and the Holy Spirit will empower you. That's where he left off, right? And so he's basically saying, don't overreact. This is, these things are just the beginning of suffering, right? But when you get to verse 14, it all changes. In verse 14, it's like, remember their, their question was, what's the sign to watch for? From all appearances, it's like verse 14 is the sign because the tone's gonna change. And so let's take a look and see what happens. And so in verse 14, I'm just so curious how long this message is gonna go. I have no idea. Uh, so in verse 14, it says, uh, when you see, uh, okay, verse 14 says, when you see, here's Jesus talking, he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, okay, this is the signal event, standing where it does not belong, we probably assume in the temple, and, and then Mark says, let the reader understand. In other words, uh, Mark is inserting, saying, hey guys, remember Daniel. That's why we had to 
go back there. Otherwise, you'd be going, I don't understand. I'm a reader. Uh, so, you go. so let the reader understand. He says, then when that happens, when, they, when you see this abomination, of, he says, let those who are in Judea, which would be the southern part of Israel where Jerusalem is, he says, uh, then let those who in, are in Judea flee to the mountains. Hey, run for your life. Get out, of, get out of Dodge. Get out of Jerusalem. This is not going to be good. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter his house to take anything out. You know, no delays. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. And we have a lot of those here today. And this, right now, we're going through a baby boom. Uh, 18. Okay, pray, pray, that that, pray that this will not take place in winter because uh, those will be days of distress. And I want you to catch all this. There'll be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. We're talking about something big here, right? Now, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, in other words, his followers, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. And at that time, hey, when you see this, this abomination happen, he says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. So remember, they're still thinking single com- coming. They're not thinking second coming. They're still thinking Jesus is going to come in power uh, in the near future. And he says, but he's getting them used to this idea he's going to be gone. And he says, and so when all this crazy stuff's going, if this, any false person, like a Christ claims to be me, claims to me, he says, um, he says, or they say, look, there he is. Don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and they will perform signs and miracles. Catch this, just like the real Christ. Remember this? It's how we, how we know Jesus is the real Christ. The signs and miracles, one of the signs. So he says, just like the real deal. To deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you this ahead of time. All right? So, so Jesus says, all right. You want to know the sign? Here's the sign. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it doesn't belong, clearly referring to Daniel, he says, run for the hills. Now the question is, what in the world is he talking about? (laughs) And again, this is where great scholars who love Jesus and love his word have totally different takes on this. So let me give you like one group of scholars One group of scholars would say, you know, I think what Jesus is talking about is the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, last time we were together, we talked about this, that in 70 AD, so 40 years after Jesus is saying this, that the uh, the nation of Rome marched against the nation of Israel. Israel was rebelling against Rome. And in, in 66 AD, they initiated a war And in 66 AD, the Roman armies began invading, and they'd been fighting for four years. And after four years, and after a siege that lasted almost a year of Jerusalem, where the the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by enemies for a year, and horrible things were, were happening. Sometimes 500 Jews a day are crucified outside the walls. 500 a day. As they're trying, they're, they're starving inside. They're trying to get out and find some food at night. They're ready to risk their life. When they're caught, they're crucified the next day so everyone inside can see, don't mess, give up. Right, it's, it's this horrendous, horrendous time of suffering. And in 70 AD, after almost a year of siege, uh, the Roman general Titus breaks through 
destroys the city, goes into the temple, desecrates the temple, and then says, we're tearing it down stone by stone. And so in 70 AD, what was, what was the question? You know, Jesus said, this place is coming down stone by stone. And in 70 AD, it was literally fulfilled, and the Roman general Titus came in and desecrated the place. That sounds a lot like an abomination of desolation, right? And so, so for a lot of, in fact, in Luke's gospel, Luke's account of the same passage of teaching, he doesn't even use the term abomination of desolations because it's very confusing for non-Jewish readers. He says it like this. He says, so when, what, he says, so when you see the city of Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know the time of its desolation is near. So, so he kind of takes that term and reinterprets it for Gentile readers. So there are many scholars who believe that, hey, this is what Jesus was talking about, that this was fulfilled, and most of this chapter is referring to what happened in 70 AD, not some last time things, right? Now, other set of scholars, and this would be the ones that you would be, most of you would be more familiar with, they say, wait, 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 time out here. This sounds like way bigger than just the destruction of Jerusalem. Granted, it was horrible, but he said that this will be a time of unparalleled suffering. It'll never to be uh, completed again. And that sounds bigger than, than just, you know, what happened in, to Jerusalem in 70 AD. And so they'll go back to Daniel chapter 9, the part that we didn't have time to jump in a great deal. And they said, you know what? It says in Daniel chapter 9, this abomination happens in the 70th week of Daniel. And if those are literal years, that would be the last seven years before the great tribulation. So we think... This is referring to something that happens not in 70 AD, but in, in the Great Tribulation. And then there's a third set of scholars. And they say, we kind of like both of your answers. And they say, you know, obviously, this is an, Jesus said that this place is coming down. It was an amazing prophecy, and it was fulfilled to the letter when Titus came, desecrated. And so we believe that Jesus was predicting the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and that's kind of his uh, initial fulfillment of his prophecy, but that what happened in 70 AD was a type of a greater abomination that will happen at the end of the time. Now, <laughs> which one do you want to go with? Uh, for my money, I kind of lean toward the third one because I, I kind of like, I, I like this. I mean, this prophecy of Jesus was so clearly fulfilled and that's the question, right? When's the temple coming down? They just thought it was gonna happen the whole second coming or the whole coming of Jesus and power is happening their time and so they, they assume all that and he, he jumps to the end of the story. But, but so I, I think it does seem to, to reflect that but on the other hand, some of the language does sound bigger to me than just what's happened then. You know, unparalleled suffering, never to be equaled. I, I don't think you could make that claim. And if you go on in the passage, it sounds real big. It sounds like it gets even bigger. So you pick it up in verse 20, uh, 24. He says, in those days following that distress, so that abomination, desolation, all that, then the sun will be darkened. This is a quote from Isaiah 13. And he says, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And so there'll be like cosmic disturbances. And he says, at that time, 
men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and with great power and glory. That sounds like second coming, right? And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. So Jesus, now, now learn this lesson. So as I'm, as I'm reading this, for me it sounds like some of the language sounds bigger than just 70 AD and it's right before this, seeing the second coming. And so, so to me, I kind of like that third position. But all I want you to catch here is not like arguing for one or the other. I just want you to catch some of the complexity. And we have just started scratching the surface. If we had like two more hours, I could totally confuse you. All right, so now, so let's move on. So Jesus says in verse 28, now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. So, you know, if you've ever had a fruit tree, you can tell this. There's signs of when the fruit's coming. And he says, uh, so even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near right at the door, uh, these cosmic disturbances and so on. And he says, I tell you the truth, this generation and that, that word in Greek can be translated race as well, this race. So, the, of course, there's debates over that. But I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So you can see that one group's going, hey, see, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Within one generation, it all happened. See, that's what he's talking about. The other group's, no, no, no. It's talking about these last time, people alive in the last times, that generation. Well, whatever. Okay, so uh, verse 31 Verse 30, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away, which is a huge statement. Don't miss it. Isaiah 40, verse 8, God says, all flesh is like grass, but my word will last forever. And Jesus is now saying, it's not only his word, it's my word. See, he's speaking, he's speaking uh, as the son, the son of God. And uh, so then he goes on, no one knows about the day or hour, you know, so be careful about trying to predict that. Not even the angels in heaven or the sun, only the Father, be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time's going to come. So it's like a man going away. And this is kind of like the, the parable that Dave taught on last week. He leaves his house. He puts his servants in charge, each one with assigned task. He tells the one at the gate, the door to keep watch for him. So therefore, keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, the middle of the night, or in the dawn. And if he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And so Jesus kind of comes back to, hey, you can't overly analyze like when exactly this is going to come back. It's going to come. You may not expect it. And so, hey, be on your game. Right? Be, be, be on your game, be carrying out the assignment that God has given you, like Dave talked about last week. Be focused, live this day for that day, because when you come back, you want to be ready, right? Okay, now, that's the passage. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have together today uh, that's left, I, I want to I, I stand back, and I want to take a couple big takeaways uh, from this, right? This is... Uh, it's hard to know exactly where to go. I mean, there's just so many directions we could go, but a couple big takeaways I think are very important for us as a church, very important for you as a follower of Jesus. Some of you are fascinated by this stuff. Some of you are like, I don't care. He'll come back when he wants to. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so, you know, a lot of you are like, couldn't we spend like 18 weeks on this? And a lot of you are going like, is it over yet? And so, uh, but a couple big takeaways. And there in your note sheet is a section called The Second Coming, Two Important Takeaways. And I want to highlight two things as we kind of bring these three weeks to an end. 
Uh, the first thing is kind of the obvious one, but I want to highlight it. The details are less than clear. Now, this is crazy, because if you're a longtime believer, and, and you've read the Left Behind series, and, and uh, you've read the late, great planet Earth, and you listen to all the, go to prophetic conferences, you're like, wait a second, this is, what do you mean it's less than clear? It's like crystal clear. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. Like I had someone send me a chart this, you know, a couple weeks ago, so I could get it right. And so, um, right, and so, so if, and I want to come back to what I said a couple weeks ago. If you live here in Southern California, right, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, chances are most of you have only heard one point of view on the second coming. And what I want you to catch, what I said last time, it's historically, it's kind of a minority view. I'm not saying it's wrong because of that. I'm just saying that historically, over the 2,000 years of church history, kind of a minority view, at least many of the most essential parts of it, right? And so, so it's not that it's wrong. I'm not trying to say it's wrong. I'm just saying, hey, let's expand our minds a little bit. Let's just stand back from church history. Let's not be so myopic. Let's stand back and say, you know what? There are men and women who love Jesus, who are incredibly bright, filled with his spirit for 2,000 years, who see it differently. And so, so what we see that what's clear in the Bible is that Jesus is coming back. And he's going to turn all wrongs to right. We need to live this day for that day. That is crystal clear. But in these secondary details, when and how and what signs and what order and what's the place, the role of Israel and what's happening in the Middle East right now and uh, uh, tribulation and do you go through it or do you not? Millennium, is it real or is it symbolic? These are secondary issues. And so what I want to bring you back to, and I want to drive this home because it's so important for us as a church as we move into our future, not just for this issue, but a million issues, is that when it comes to the teaching of Jesus and the New Testament, the Bible, that there are certain issues that really are primary issues. And primary issues have two key components. <laughs> they're clear and they're important. They're clear and they're important. So, so like a primary issue, who Jesus is, who God is, the authority of God's word, the path to salvation, the core moral code of the New Testament. You're Christians. Live sexually pure lives. You're, you're to live your life by the fruit of the Spirit, the compassion of Jesus and kindness. And these things are crystal clear over and over, and they're core issues. And the Apostle Paul says, if anyone comes and teaches you a different gospel, that he'll let him be eternally condemned. On core issues, we do not budge. Let me give you an example. Uh, one of the core issues of the New Testament and the Bible is sexual purity. We live in a day, an age where people live together, they're promiscuous while they're dating. We have same sex relationships going on, and it's all portrayed as normal. It is not normal. It's not right, it's not good, it's not true, and the Bible is clear, and I don't care if it's popular or unpopular, we're gonna stand with the church of Jesus for 2,000 years and say, this is wrong, you see? Okay? Now, okay, 
that's a clear issue. I will go to war over that issue. If someone comes and says, Jesus is not God, I'll go to war. So the Bible is not inspired by God, I'll go to war. I'm not going to war over secondary issues that people who love Jesus and are bright and have studied his word have disagreed on for 2,000 years. And what we learned last week is that there's, sec- there's, there's primary issues, there's secondary. So we, we talked about primary, so what are, what's the two marks of a secondary one? They're less clear and they're less important. And so in the New Testament, remember what they're fighting over? Days of the week to worship, what to eat, what to drink, which laws come into the New Testament from the Old Testament. And Paul says there is a right, there is a wrong, but here's what we learned. In secondary issues, and we've got them in our lives today, in secondary issues, it is more important that we love one another, even if we're wrong, than to be right on everything. Very clear, Romans 14 and 15. We talked about that last time. I won't go into detail. So, so in our day, predestination and free will, right? Christians argue. They've been arguing forever about it. Uh, the role of women in ministry. Should you have women pastors or not? Spiritual gifts. Do all the gifts exist today or do only some of the gifts exist today? Homeschooling, public schooling, private schooling. Uh, you know, what's Christians in politics, Right, so the, these are kind of secondary issues. Now catch this, when I say secondary, I don't mean they're not important, and I don't mean that there's not a right and wrong answer on many of them. But what we're saying is on secondary issues, it's more important to love one another and respect one another. And men and women, if we can't live this out in our life groups, if you can't have someone who's post-trib and someone who's pre-trib in your same life group and come out alive, if you can't have someone who's a Democrat and a Republican in your life group and, and come out alive, right? It, like, if you can't come out who's someone who's speaking in tongues and someone who thinks in the devil, right? Like, then there's something wrong. Because here's what the Apostle Paul says so clearly. When you fight and divide over secondary issues, all you're showing is not your spiritual maturity, but your spiritual immaturity, all right? Okay, so, so that's the first one, and I want us to take that from here. And by the way, just, you know, sidebar here. This is giving an example from Mark 13. Remember, in, in Mark 13, there's two key events that for many of you, this is the one view you've been exposed to of the second coming. There's two key events that when his men ask him, when's this gonna happen? What's the sign of your coming? And all this stuff about, second coming, that he doesn't even mention. Did you notice there's no mention of a rapture in here? And did you you realize there's no mention of a millennium in here? Now, I am not saying that that means one thing or another. I'm just saying that if you're on a different side of the fence, you can understand why someone would say, well, maybe we've misunderstood the rapture or the millennium if Jesus didn't see fit to, to talk about it. So again, I'm not taking a position in it. I'm just trying to say, hey, let's just, let's grow up as a church. Let's grow up. Let's not be babes. Let's be mature men and women in Christ who understand the faith, not just from this, you know, this time, but we look historically. We look at the church of Jesus. We look at the whole teaching of scripture and we, we, we separate between primary and secondary. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Good. All right. Uh, number two. Now, the second one is that if the details are less than clear, the main point is clear. And this is what we've come back to time and time again. We saw it again today with Jesus. Where he gets to the end of his whole teaching and his whole point is, hey, so watch. So, hey, you're the servant. I'm the master. I've left. I've gone away. I've given you assignments. Make sure when I come back, you're doing your assignment. This is what Dave was talking about last week in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Now, here's what I found, that as a follower of Jesus over my life, that when this topic comes up of being ready for Jesus to return, that many of us get nervous. Like, uh, okay, should I cancel that order to Amazon? Or, you know, uh, should I drop out of college? Oh, he's coming back soon, why do I need a, why do I need a degree, you know? Uh, and we start getting real nervous, you know? And then you've had speakers who are like, would you be doing that if Jesus came back? You know, it's not anything wrong you're doing. It's just like a long-term thing. And often we get very nervous about this kind of thing, and we can, get, we can become afraid of it. But here's what I want you to catch. To be a follower of Jesus and to be living in light of his coming doesn't mean that we live as if he's coming back tomorrow, therefore we don't go to college. What it means is that we listen and we follow the leading and the teaching of the Spirit and the Word in our life on a daily basis. And if you listen to what God is saying to you and you're surrendering to his leadership on a daily basis, I promise you, when he comes back, you'll be ready. It's as simple as that. And I want to show you a passage of Scripture that helps shine a light on this. It's a fascinating passage. It's in 2 Thessalonians. And this is a passage that talks about the second coming. And in Paul's day, there was this false teaching going around the church that was entered the church of Thessalonica. And basically, there were some prophets who were prophesying and saying that the day of the Lord, which is the Old Testament term for kind of the end of time events, the day of the Lord is already here. It's already started. It's already happening. And these new believers there really shook up. It's like, whoa, you know, I'm just going to work and doing my taxes. I didn't, you know, I, I missed it. Like, what's going on here? You know, like, I don't want to be left behind or, you know, whatever. And so Paul says, hey, just relax because Jesus isn't coming back until certain key events have to happen. And one of the key events is the rise of this person that traditionally we've called the Antichrist. And I want you to see something very fascinating that gets spelled out here. So in, in chapter 2 of Thessalonians, Paul says, do not let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, and he's talking about the day of the Lord, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And so I think pretty much everyone agrees on this one that that be the Antichrist. And so, uh, and he's, he's the man that's doomed to destruction. So he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or worshiped. And he'll set himself up in God's temple, and scholars will argue over what that is, but uh, proclaiming himself to be God. And so there's, there's going to be this antichrist-type figure that's going to rise up and proclaim himself to be God. Now, in my opinion, this sounds a lot like maybe the abomination of desolation, of which Jerusalem in 70 AD was a type of this. But, you know, for whatever it's worth. Anyway, so the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, 
so catch this, uh, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. This is exactly what Jesus said. He said, after that abomination of desolation, he said, uh, uh, remember, false messiahs will come, they'll have power, that's supernatural power. So is there going to be like a false Jesus? This guy's going to be like a false Jesus, an alternative Jesus. And, uh, and he says, that, so he's going um, to have counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are what? Perishing. Perishing. So believers won't be deceived, but he says, but those who are perishing will be deceived because he's going to be going around, he's teaching, he's going to have a lot of charisma, and he's going to be doing a lot of miracles, and it's like, whoa, he must be the guy, you know, must be, this must be the real deal, and so he says they're perishing, but here's what I want you to catch, this last line, and you might want to bracket this or do something with it, <laughs> they perish because they refuse to what? Love the truth and so be saved. Now here's what I want you to catch. Apostle Paul says, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be two kinds of people. People that perish and people who don't. People who are saved, people who are not. And what's the distinguishing mark? One group embraces the truth. One group refuses to embrace the truth. So I want you to catch this. Those who are perishing will not perish because they did not know the truth. They will not perish because they're in the dark. They will not perish because no one has ever shared the gospel. They will perish because they've seen the truth and they don't want to bring their lives under the authority of the truth. Are you with me? Now this leads us to one of the most important spiritual principles of life. And this is the key to our life every day, but it's the key to being ready when Jesus comes back. It's a principle I've often taught here, but I like to come back and touch base periodically because it's so critical. For me, it's the most important principle of the spiritual life. And it's what I call the principle of the dimmer switch. We've talked about this before, right? And so this principle is that how we respond to the truth determines our destiny. We see it here. How we respond to the truth determines our destiny. So here's what happens. Is that when God reveals truth in our life, we have a choice. We can either move towards the truth and embrace it and love it, or we can reject it. Now often, when God reveals truth, it's not pleasant. It's not, it's painful. It requires change. There's a temptation to reject it. There in your notes, you have something Jesus said that kind of plays off of this same principle. Jesus, this is in John 3. This is a passage where Jesus, or John, it's hard to know who is talking, has just said in verse 3, 3, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that those who believe will not perish, but have eternal life. And three verses later, John, or Jesus, says, this is the verdict. Think of a court case. The court, here's a sentence. It says, this is the verdict that light has come into the world. Light, truth, Jesus, he's brought the light, has come in the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to be exposed. So the issue is not that they didn't have the truth, it's they didn't want to have the truth because their deeds were evil and that would require change. 
And so he says, everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. The dimmer switch. Now this dimmer switch happens not just believers and non-believers, it happens for us as believers. Can I tell you something? Every day, every week of your life, Jesus is shepherding you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack any good thing. Every day, Jesus is shepherding. He knows you. He knows when you get up. He knows when you go to bed. He knows every word before it's said. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you passionately. And he died for you so you could be forgiven so that when he comes back, you will be ready. And when you came to Jesus, the Holy Spirit invaded you, your life. You are a son of God. You're a daughter of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And every day, that Spirit is speaking and shepherding your life. And the question is, men and women, how are you responding to the shepherding of the Holy Spirit? Because he is going to turn up the light and, and this is why I call it the dimmer switch, because when the Holy Spirit is speaking, he's speaking about your marriage, he's speaking about your sexuality, he's speaking about your priorities, he's speaking about your schedule, he's speaking about your kids, he's speaking about your attitudes, he's talking about your anger, he's talking about your purpose in life, your destiny, your service, your spiritual gifts. When the Holy Spirit is leading, he's turning up the light, and there's light there at the edge of your consciousness. There is light there. And when, there's, when, when he begins to speak, it's usually not loud. It's usually not overpowering. He's not like that. It's a still, small voice. And he begins to speak on the edge of your consciousness. Something's not right. Or I'm calling you to this. There's a hunger for that. And the question is, when that light begins to go on, do you turn towards the light and say, God, speak. I, I sense you speaking. Something's happening. And, I, and I, I'm beginning to sense you're doing. What do you want me to hear and move towards the light? And if we do, light gets turned up. And we get a little bit more light. And as we take a step, we take a step, and we take a step, and we are transformed. Paul says, from glory to glory, from Jesus into his likeness. We are changed. And if you do that, when Jesus comes back, you'll be ready. Or, just like in the scripture that we've said, the Holy Spirit begins speaking about your marriage, your finances, your anger, your attitudes, your time with him, your service, whatever it is, and we don't want to hear it because our deeds are evil and we're not ready to change and surrender to Lord Jesus. And so what happens is picture a halogen light here. We turn away, we turn our back to the light and we get moving away from that light and that light becomes dimmer and dimmer, like a dimmer switch going up and going down. Men and women, let me tell you this. Do you want to be ready for Jesus to come back? This is not rocket science. All you need to do is be open to what the Holy Spirit is telling you on this day. And if you, if you listen on this day, you'll be ready for that day. And if you don't listen on this day, and you keep ignoring and resisting, the light will go out and you will not be ready on that day. And it's as simple as that. Let's pray.
Lord, what an amazing time we've had today. It's just, we've sensed your presence here. I've sensed it. I've sensed you moving, speaking, leading, guiding. Well, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You know, you may be here and you've never given your life to Christ. And, and you need to give your life to Christ. You need, you're not ready for him to come back. If he were to come back today, you would not go with him. If he came back today, you would perish because you've not loved the truth. And God is calling to you and he is telling you his amazing love. And he's calling you home to lay down your arms, to turn from the darkness, to come to the light and let him restore your life. Let him heal you and forgive you. And if that's you today, I just want to challenge you. Give your life to Christ today. Don't wait. It's as simple as asking him in and asking him to forgive you. It's as simple as that. And if you'd like to do that, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And this expresses the desire of your heart. I just pray along with me in your mind or heart. And Jesus will hear, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I want to be ready when you come. Please forgive me for all my sin and rebellion. Help me to embrace the truth. Send your spirit into my life to change me from the inside out. Teach me how to follow you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just prayed that prayer, I would love to know that, share that joy with you, and send you a letter this week. Here's some first steps of following Jesus. And so when we take our offering in a few minutes, just I'd ask inside your, your uh, program is a little card called the Connect card. Just fill it out. Write me a note on the back. Say, Mike, I asked Jesus into my life. Something like that. We'll, we'll send you that letter. And when our, head are bowed, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I speak to my brothers and sisters. I say, Jesus loves you. And I speak for him. He is passionate about you. He died for you. And so what are you waiting for? And he is so much smarter than you are. And he knows the path to life. And if there is any area of your life you're resisting, and maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's a, a sexual issue, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's a service, a calling, a career, a priority, a kid issue, I have no idea. But if there's anything, why don't today you just surrender that and get back on track? Lord, we want to be a church that's passionately following you. We want to be ready. We want to be on guard. We want to be watching. And so, Lord, we surrender. We surrender. We surrender it all. We surrender it now. And Lord, as we bring our offering, as we worship you, we pray you'd come and meet with us and you would minister to us by the power of your spirit now in Jesus' name. And we pray it in that incredibly beautiful and powerful name, his name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and worship. And Lord, that's a prayer that we want to know you more. God, as we look forward to your coming, the reality of that day, whether it's soon or long, that you would come back and turn all wrongs to right. You promised that you would come back for us. You promised you'd turn all things right, that you're the king of creation. You'll restore all things. And so, God, we pray that you'd help us to live in light of that day. That would be a reality for us. That whether it's short or long, we'd be living this day for that day, listening to the voice of your spirit, coming under the authority of your word, growing together in fellowship with one another, loving one another, even on issues where we disagree, these secondary issues, and that we'd create a place here that's really living out your vision of a place where we love one another and lay down our lives for one another. We accept one another even when we're wrong and some of these secondary things. And that we'd be a place where people could come in and experience your love, your reality, 
and they would learn this message. You've come once, you're coming again. It's time to get ready. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Great service together, guys. Great service. Hey, a couple things. Remember, uh, uh, first of all, that I need about 100 of you more. I, I don't think I mentioned this during the announcement time, but last week was a great response. But I need about 100 people more. Uh, well, wait. No, this is Saturday night. I don't need anything from you. You, just, you already know your name. <laughs> I'm already on a Sunday morning. Like, all right. Uh, so what do you need to know? You need to know uh, water bottles. That's what you need to know that on the way out that uh, if you'd like to, uh, to, to make a contribution that you've saved this week by, by uh, uh, not drinking water. Or I know a lot of you just say, I'm going to drink whatever I want this week, but I'm going to give something. So uh, whatever the case is, I know, yeah, you thought I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. It's like Elijah, Lord, I'm the only one left. Uh, no, no. Uh, all right, so uh, here's the deal. So on the way out, there's going to be those water bottles. Feel free to do that. Remind you, after our service, always have a ministry called our Prayer Corner, Prayer Connection down here at my right. Some people love to pray with you on anything you're going through. And so uh, until next week, uh, may the Lord be with you. And may you know how deeply loved and treasured you are. May you understand that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you become a son or a daughter of the living God. Your future is incredible, and no one can steal it. Amen. As the apostle Peter said, there's an inheritance waiting for us that's undefiled, will never fade, reserved in heaven for you. May you live in the light of this reality this week. May you love people well. May you love one another when we disagree. And may we create a place together here where the movement of Jesus can be unleashed. A movement of truly passionate Christ followers living for him and longing for that day. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. See you later. <laughs>